Hey everybody, this is JR. I uh, just did the Ice Cream Sunday podcast. Uh, today we talked about a little bit of MMA, talked about um, spending some time in the NICU, just an overview of life and in general. Uh, it was a great time. And sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey! <laughs> up doing any martial arts um no uh played basketball and football that was my main main two sports when did you start getting into martial arts and what was the reason behind it um so i started because i watched actually gsp fight and the dude actually wasn't super angry but he explained how it's the highest form of competition where you are showing that you're confident and you're so and so confident that you're gonna put your own consciousness on one. And anyone who knows me, I guess that's what really drives me is to just be the best. So is that competition aspect of it? Yeah, yeah. So that was and it was one of those things that you always hear people say, you can you can train for twenty years and you're still working the same basics you you begin working. Yeah. Which I thought that was sweet. Um, <laughs> I knew I wasn't gonna be a doctor, so you know, eight years of jujitsu isn't anything. And it's like, okay, well, you become a doctor in eight years, so that's pretty big discipline. Yeah, yeah. How old were you when you started getting into jujitsu? Um, I started going up into the baby room at like fifteen, sixteen, which was at West Thompson's house with Mickey, Cody, um. Lee, the the basic pretty much crew. Yeah. So there was a lot of guys like around the area that we grew up in that ended up getting into some sort of martial art or some sort of fighting. I know that like, um, uh, not not Billy, the other grand brother, Mike. Mike like did boxing. Grandpa. Yep. Um, and then I know that like, uh, Bull Christensen. Yep. Jesse Lund. They got into MMA like super early. They were doing like Midwest Cage Championships way back in the yeah. day. Um. And then, obviously, you got into MMA. What, do you think there's a reason for so many people from our area getting into <laughs> mixed martial arts? Or what, what do you think caused um, that? Well, okay. So, I think almost every person's kind of different. Grambo um, actually lived with me. Probably first person to show me, like, what boxing was. And then um, took me up to Mike Dotson's sister's dance studio. Beat me up a little bit. Um, but then, like... And that's kind of beautiful thing about martial arts. I would say Josh Christensen, he's he's a brawler. When it gets down to down and dirty, I want that guy on my side. Yeah. Um, Jesse Lund was a technician, which still when it gets down and dirty, the dude's a bad motherfucker. But but he's way more technical. Um, And then, you know, Justin Shannon, that's pretty much one of the first people to help me um, start training once I said I wanted to train everyone's afraid of my mom so the, no we ain't hoping you coach or get better <laughs> so um, 
and and Justin's kind of he loves his distance fighting from from range, and I think honestly a lot of it. The thing I noticed with all those people is, besides Bull, I think that dude just loves beating people up. Um, is just love to compete. Mm-hmm. Um, just and don't like not being the best at anything. So then this was a chance and like for Justin, I know he played college basketball and then fought and had just injuries and a bunch of injuries. So like this was a chance for him to continue competing and, and go do something that's uncomfortable. Um, and that is one of the biggest things for me is it makes, makes you super uncomfortable. You gotta be in an uncomfortable space and if you don't, it shows. And yeah. it shows in front of everybody. I was going to ask about that. So I think a, a lot of it, like like wrestling, like in high school, and then obviously martial arts, mixed martial arts, um, you know, whether it's kickboxing or boxing or whatever, is that if you, if you lose in basketball or in football, you can kind of blame the team on the loss. If, if it's wrestling and you get pinned, that's all on you. And I, I think there's a certain special ego or or lack of ego for that matter that goes into martial arts where it's like, this is all on me. And everyone just watched me either get knocked out or submitted or and it's all on me. Um, is that something that you gravitated toward for that reason as well? And was um, jiu-jitsu the first martial arts that you kind of tried? Uh, actually, so um, Josh Henry, the coach I use... Um, is a huge wrestler and obviously being a basketball player, I would call, I would literally call a wrestling gay porn. And then, <laughs> and just like being the wrestler basketball argument, you know, he'd call me a pumpkin pusher all the time. And I had the Chuck Liddell theory that you got to take me down to get there. So I really enjoyed kickboxing the most mm-hmm. right off the bat. And, and then, I think it was my second or third fight in Omaha. I ended up with 30 stitches in my face from a NAIA national qualifier in wrestling. And at that moment, we had an awakening that I was going to land the ground and became actually <coughs> all, all of my finishes for MMA are actually subs. Oh, really? Yeah, which I have knockouts in kickboxing. I have... Um, I have W's that way, but for MMA, it seems like I would catch him with the right and then they'd always shoot and the same guillotine always presents itself and just kept hit. I hit it like four out of my six finishes, I think as a pro or not a pro as a amateur. So your, your first level was kind of kickboxing first and you used more of the wrestling as, as defense instead of offense. Yeah. Okay. Um, because and I just liked I like well. I'm six three, so that also helps. I like using my range and and being a technician. Um, stand up is very high level chess, and so is the ground, which is sweet because you start learning about feints and you start learning. I mean, in all areas, it's it's all so important. Which kind of has been my whole philosophy. I never like choose to practice. Um, whatever it is, I'm just I'm excited to do it. And then hopefully there's someone that's better than me there so I can try to push myself against that person. Um, one thing I would say for fighting was I definitely 
tried taking the toughest people and just never never have an easy match um i see a ton of people that have these beautiful records like seven and one seven and oh well that one person is the one challenge i had or they fought a bunch of people that probably are smoking a pack of cigarettes five minutes before they fought yeah. so you know it's just like yeah you got this nice record but it's it's not that nice like your skill doesn't match that mm-hmm. which is one thing I think bugs me about MMA. Bunch of fake tough guys. I think that was one of the things that I... I don't know if it was GSP that said this or maybe it was Demetrius Johnson. It was one of those high-level fighters that basically said if, if if you're the best guy training at your gym, then you're at the wrong gym. Yeah. Um, they always want to challenge themselves against um, better guys or they challenge themselves against uh, guys that are up a weight class or something like that because they never want to be like the top guy. They always want the, they want the biggest challenge to be in the gym. So when they go out there in front of a crowd and fight, defend a title or, or challenge for a title, they want that to be an easier fight than, than the challenges that they had to endure in the gym. Yeah, definitely agree with that. And I mean, I know both of those dudes, GSP and DJ were, I mean, are on Goat Mountain probably, yeah. uh, have to be top five. And GSP talks very much like the mental battle, which like you were saying earlier with like football or basketball, you have a bad game. You still kind of put it off on everyone else. Mm-hmm. So for my whole career, that's what I knew. If I had a rough first quarter, then I could pick it up two, three, and four, and no one said anything about that first because I had a great game. Um, which so learning to count on myself and just believe that I'm that dude was was a big change back to the sport and and the right. Like if you're not getting into to those dark times in the gym, just not getting pushed. I mean, you're gonna walk out a few practices just feeling like you suck. I mean, I I can remember a couple of times just driving back to Graceland or driving back home where it'd be tears in my eyes. Like, I'm terrible, you know, because this dude, and I, I know I'm better than the guy, but he dominated me that night. And it's like, this dude dominated me. I suck. I don't know if I do this. And then, you know, it's, it's a mental war, which is, and if you don't face it a million times through your camp or through your gym, then pro- yeah, you're going to crumble when pressure gets tight. So it seems like you are very much the type of person that just always wants to be challenged and you, you don't ever want anything like super easy. Um, has there ever been a time where you just you just want something easy or just full bore challenge all the way? Um, I mean, I want every fight to go easy in a way, you know, because... Sure. It's sweet. Like my favorite fights are the ones that one punch and then I get sub or, you know, get something sure. quick and get all the glory and no punishment. Um, but as opponent wise, no, because as an amateur, I was building, I didn't care about my wins loss record as an amateur. I cared about who I fought. I cared if they're in the top five. And I wanted to know that when I got faced with a situation as a pro that I've been in there and I know that I can handle it because just like if you don't practice the pressure, if you haven't seen it in a live cage, then 
when it happens, you see all the time these talents that start fighting and then all of a sudden there's they meet someone who's just equal to them and then then they crumble. And I just didn't want that. I want to know all the good things, all the bad things, which roughly I found out with 30 Stitches that wrestling was something I was not good at. Okay. So how long did you train before you had your first fight? Well, and was your first fight in MMA or was it kickboxing? Was it just pure grappling? What, what was the first competition? So when I was 16 years old, I, I said, I was staying out, staying at my buddy, Jamie Bricker's house. And I went to corner my brother, Cody, um, in a fight that he was having in Osceola and Brody J had an opponent that backed out and like, are you 18? I'm like, yeah, I'm 18. Like, Would you want to fight? And they told me that he was good. Nothing too crazy. And I was like, yeah, definitely. I'm six foot three with a beard. Of course, yeah. of course <laughs> yeah. I'm 18. Yeah, I'm doing this. <laughs> and I already had interest in MMA at that time. So then about two hours later, I find myself locked in a cage with a guy named Brody J, which is a beast punched the shit out of me and then um i i know i landed an overhand right and i was like yes now i take him down just like george st pierre well funny thing he was a three-time state qualifier in wrestling <laughs> oh, so, <no. laughs> um, and i was a pumpkin pusher yeah yeah <laughs> and i pretty much at that point from that moment got my ass whooped and it's just i mean it's eye-opening but I mean, it's a first fight, but really wasn't a first fight that sure. I trained at all. And then even my first win, I really didn't train train at all. I just seen a seen a flyer in Omaha that they're looking for fights, and it's this Saturday. And I asked asked the promoter if I could fight. I was playing at Iowa Western at the time, just finished there, and. Um, the guy actually, he's like, yeah, you can fight this heavyweight. That's, I think he's like eight and oh, nine and oh, he's like, or you can go to two Oh five and fight this zero and zero dude. And that time I was like, well, I'll cut the 25 pounds, which I cut in like probably two, three days. And it was rough. If that dude would have probably pushed me any little bit, I would have got wrecked, but Came out on top, got a rear naked choke, I think. And then that's kind of when I realized I want to start training. And then that's when Josh started to really take over. And mm -hmm. it wasn't just me saying yes to the fights as a checklist. So that's a world from, I mean, I've obviously I've done a, a very little bit amount of pro wrestling. There's no weight cutting uh, involved in it. None of the sports I've ever done, whether it be soccer, track and field, cross country, there's no, there's no weight cutting involved in any yeah. of that. Um, so obviously there's the, the physical aspect of just putting your body through this, this rigorous competition, but then there's also the mental and emotional part of it as well with the weight cutting. Yeah. Um, you talked about cutting, you know, 20 pounds to get down to the two Oh five limit. Um, talk us through that. What's that? What does that mental preparation, that emotional preparation feel like when you're cutting weight for a fight? So, if you do it proper, it's not that bad. And you, <laughs> you actually feel awesome the whole way through and cut about 15 pounds the last week, but it's a lot of water weight. You've prepped your body. Sure. Um, 
I, I like using the Harrison Bendick formula. And then instead of using my body mass, I use my lean muscle mass. So that way I'm only feel fueling my, um, muscle and that way my fat is kind of shredding off but you're also keeping eating every three hours loading up on water and it gets nerve-wracking because you're not dropping the weight like you think you're gonna Mm -hmm. but then the last week you're you're so hydrated that you start dropping everything um you also take like a natural diuretic called uso ursi ursi and it helps big time just keeping you pee um and it 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 was a big game changer just figuring out that the right way to do it um i actually invested into the george lockhart and uh ryan leaf's like dietitian plan and uh once i started doing it that way felt amazing now the way that most people do it and i think you're an idiot if you do it this way is they either they stop eating or they cut you know, they cut water out way before or, you know, and they're not eating a ton of calories. And that's, it's just not good. You're not only just taking it out of your body, but mentally it's so draining that you just, by the time the fight gets here, you don't even care to fight. You just want to weigh in. Sure. And, you know, great. You just work six weeks, seven, eight weeks to have a fight and just you've been excited but now you don't even care about the fight you just care about getting on the scale so you can drink some water Mm -hmm. and that's yeah it's just not not the good way also it's the missing weight thing is ridiculous um i i think honestly if you miss weight you should should be suspended automatically i get you miss one time that happens but this professional i mean like hamzat shmaev that mm-hmm. dude's the one of the biggest names and he was one of my favorite fighters still is one of my favorite but missed it by six pounds that's that's a bitch move yeah you know um you gave your word that you're being at x weight and i mean if you tell me you're gonna buy me a pack of skittles i trust your word that next time i see you you're probably gonna have a pack of skittles yeah so that's where you know i I'm huge against people missing weight and I get people cut weight wrong all the time and it's super draining, but that that's on them. Um, my wife and I watch UFC. I mean, at this point, almost every weekend from, from the super early prelims all the way to the main event. Yeah. And, um, anytime someone misses weight I'm like, well, we can't cheer for that guy. I, I just, the, <laughs> that, that's just my, that's yeah. always been my, my rule against it. It's like, yeah. I mean, there's a level of discipline that comes with, with, I mean, fighting at the highest level. Um, and these are guys, especially when you have a guy that's ranked like fourth or fifth, and it's like, if this was a title fight, he's not fighting for yeah, the you're title. Not fighting for the title. Like, there's a level of discipline if you want to fight at that level. Yeah. Um, and obviously, I mean, look at me. I'm, I'm five foot seven and, and 205 pounds. So <laughs> I can't really talk about being disciplined with my weight either, but I'm not a professional fighter yeah, either. Yeah, exactly. So, um, and speaking of that discipline, did you always fight at 205 then or uh, heavy? No, I usually actually fought 185. Okay. Um, mostly 185 actually. And then 195 started coming up. So I fought at that. And then I fought a little bit at 205 and, and then heavyweight, of course. Sure. Uh, but whoever just was the highest ranked dude, I didn't care about weight. I didn't, I've fought the number one heavyweight in like the Midwest 
multiple times and beat my ass multiple times, which now we're good. Like I lately hope nothing but good things for him. You know, at the time it was an issue, but so if you're, if you're fighting, if you have to get down to 185 fight weight, um, are you staying disciplined outside of, of fighting as well and, and staying at a reasonable weight? What are you walking around at if you're fighting at 185? Um, honestly, usually probably about 210 to okay. 205. Um, but yeah, but honestly, I liked, I like to stay ready anyways to where I can make, make 205 or 185 on like two, three weeks notice because of you, that's when you get your biggest shot. Um, and it's just, you just got to stay ready. But also it makes camp that much easier. Sure. You know, when you come into camp and you're just out of shape and just dying, you know, now, you're, now your coach isn't spending time helping getting you ready for this fight. He's helping getting your fat ass back in shape. Mm-hmm. And that, like, as a coach, it has to be annoying. But as, a, as an athlete, especially if you're a pro athlete, you felt you failed your coach because that's – that shouldn't be his job. His job should be to get you ready for the fight or continuing whatever it is, not get you back in shape. So, you said that uh, like kickboxing was really like your your first love. Um, I know we're skipping ahead quite a bit, but um, it would have been as of this recording last weekend. Yes. So you had signed on to do a fight with the Bare Knuckle Fighting Championship. Yep. For those that don't know. Um, at this point, uh, no disrespect to PFL or Bellator, uh, Bare Knuckle Fighting Championship is probably the number two combat sport behind UFC in in the country right now. Um, so you're signed on to do a fight with them in Omaha. Um, you go and get your, your physical and find out that you're not able to be cleared. Can you talk a little bit about that? Um, yeah, so it's actually kind of a long time coming in a way um i guess uh i definitely agree bkfc's number two um so i get the physical i just spent months so i fought in november and my body actually shut down on me in middle of a fight um no real disrespect to my opponent by smashing anytime my body works um but that's not how it worked. He won, so that's that. That is what it is. But at that time, my coach pulled me into the locker room. Uh, we've been battling this probably five, six years, and and just pulling. He's like, "Dude, that was scary. I don't like it. You need to get checked out. Make sure your heart's good. Make sure your brain's good. All this, blah blah blah." I'm like, I agree, guy, kid. You know, it's not just me. I need to do this. Mm-hmm. So. Do the MRI, everything's good with my head. Do a scan on my heart, everything's good there. And pretty much, I still got to get, um, not cleared, but confirmed. But I go meet with like a sleep specialist coming up in a couple of weeks for this thing called cataplexy. Okay. Which is like pretty much what fainting goats has. So, um, like they tense up and pretty much body shuts down, which is kind of what would happen in the middle of my fights. Um, so I got checked out, um, the week before I set up cause I just told the wife I was going to do one more fight and that's how I was just going to work out. And then 
focused on trying to bring jiu-jitsu and martial martial arts geez tongue's bad um towards you know southwest iowa and uh so actually pretty much begged my physician to let me fight and come to agreement that this is last one technical line of the paper everything is right he i'm good and everything so he couldn't really deny deny me um next day went to the eye doctor and usually so i've just always had bad vision i have i had some weird rare eye disease as a kid that actually said i'd be blind by 11 so i i just figured for the last couple years my eyes are getting a little bit worse nothing nothing too bad to worry about um, obviously when they do my eye checks at the fights, I could cheat it by one, your hand positioning two, I would just use my left eye. Um, but when we started instantly shut down my left eye and couldn't, couldn't see anything. Um, and pretty much at that moment, I text the wife, like, I think I might fail this eye exam. Um, come back um come back to it they want to do like a scan of my eye and um i think it's called your macula it my macula has blood pooling in it so instead of me seeing out my right eye all i see is black when i focus i can see everything like peripherally but the middle of my eye it's just blind and so pretty much couldn't pass the eye exam and screwed uh i'm not screwed but you know ruined the biggest shot for martial arts that i definitely ever had yeah so you had mentioned that you had this this eye disease um from back when you were a kid um do you think fighting and and damage through fighting caused you know further damage or caused uh the condition to to worsen um you know that's where it's kind of tough to say because my vision was always really bad um i guess probably because according to a doctor they don't see things called macula degeneration or something yeah, like that macular degeneration yeah. i can't yeah. talk to it either <laughs> um and he said you don't see it in anyone that's young so sure probably um but it's you know it's tough to say it's i've always had bad vision i've never been able to see i had, so it's one of those things that just honestly thought my eyes were getting worse and it's like okay it makes sense so and you've always had it since you were a kid so did you ever notice this in in your fights with it ever um you know uh dampen your abilities in any way like you said it's it's your right eye that's affected yeah were you you know, getting caught with, with jabs, like left-handed jabs from a, a right-handed fighter? or Did, did you ever notice so, it being a, a burden to you? I didn't. And, I mean, I've obviously fought like this for a couple of years. So you so, just got used to it. Yeah, and that's why, why I train every day. So, But then again, I probably was getting caught with, you know, left hooks or jabs more sure. because I don't see it coming, um, especially because I like switching stances a lot. So when my right foot would be be in front or I'd be southpaw, um, same thing. But it would have been my right eye in the front. So then, of course, I'm not seeing it come because that's going to be the first thing that reads any movement. 
So I'm guessing, yeah, it definitely may have. How uh, how concerned are you that your vision may um, get worse and it, it would mean that, like, uh, your fighting career wouldn't uh, last too much longer? Or is it more of a... If it happens, when it happens, you know, it that's it or Um, so for the fighting aspect and grapplers are gonna get upset, but a grappling match is not a fight, it's a grapple. Um, but it's as in a real fight, I'm done. Um it's kinda I guess it's God's plan and it's just how it works out. Uh pretty much a 50% chance if I get vision back in that eye, I guess. Um, but as in the plan to still bring grappling and everything like that to Southwest Iowa, that's still going to happen. Um, obviously, with jiu-jitsu, it's a lot less of a risk. I'm not going to get punched in the face or, you know, my eye's not going to get battered off off of grappling so true um yeah but combat wise definitely gotta be done so the the, obviously the the fighting end of it is done for you um still grappling still able to do that competition um you talked about you know a love for jujitsu a respect for jujitsu um is that where your your future lies is basically just just grappling competitions moving forward yeah, so um, I think it's July 15th. I am grappling at Northern Iowa Fights in uh, Mason City. And the card's actually going to be awesome. So I'm hyped to just watch the card and then be able to be a little part of it. And I'll, I'll grapple a guy. He's a brown belt. Dude's a beast. Um, I'm technically one stripe white belt. Um thing i've always learned well one boats don't mean shit um they're they're just little glory for people i want to show off of i can show you a guy that has zero boats and will tap out a lot of black boats yeah um but uh one of the biggest things josh near would actually teach when we do grappling was that a boat protects two inches of your ass your skill better make up the rest of it yep and that's kind of where I lie. Um, do I think I'm a brown belt? Probably not, but I don't know. I've never been tested, uh, fought a purple belt. He got choked. So it, I think it really depends on the, uh, the, the gym, the school too, and yeah. the trainer. Cause you can be, I mean, you can be a purple belt somewhere Quite. and you can be a white belt somewhere else yeah. and, and have the same skill level or that white or that white belt, you know, one stripe white belt might be better, you know, who knows? Yeah, I completely agree with with that. And it's um it it just depends like if you're a real grappler martial artist, you're just trying to compete at the highest level, so you're figure it out. Um you're looking to push yourself, but you're always trying to learn. So it doesn't matter if you're a black belt, white belt, you're still going in there. You're going to do a shrimpy. You're still going to do an arm bar. They're still going to have bad technique at times. You know, it's just high level chess. So, um, may as well push yourself and see, I mean, see what level I'm really at on the ground and 
and just get back to training. And and speaking of, of that, like bad technique, one of the things that I always respected about you is it seemed like when you when you talked about fighting, um, it was I, I really want to learn how to be a high level kickboxer, or I really want to learn how to be a high level uh, grappler. I think there's a lot of guys, um, especially as MMA continued to get popular that they treated it like, especially amateurs, they just treat it like a tough man competition where they just want to get in there and they just want to fucking brawl. And one of the things I loved about you is you actually, like you seem to enjoy the martial arts aspect of it and, and learning the, learning the trade. Um, I won't say any names, but he knows who he is. If he's listening, uh, the guy that introduced my, my wife and I, he did some amateur MMA for a little while and barely trained. And one of his things was just like, I'm just going to get in there and be like, be tougher than my opponent. And to his credit, first fight he ever fought, he fought a zero and zero guy and knocked him out cold. But then second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh fight, um, he got submitted every time because he, he didn't want to learn, um, you know, the intricacies of the martial art. He just wanted to go, go in there and, and prove how tough he is. Um, so one of the things I always respected with you and all of the guys that, um, you know, all of the guys that came from like our area, like Jesse Lund and, um, uh, obviously you know bull's a fucking brawler but yeah. still technical there is some technique to him yeah um they seem to really really care about the the technique and the martial art of it and i, I really respected that a lot so um when you're when you're fighting guys can you tell um because in amateur fighting i'm sure there's not like a lot of tape that you study or anything like that um your opponents is there um Yes and no. Okay. I mean, in the beginning, there's not because usually you're fighting an oh no guy sure. or very loyal. But for me, I'm a film junkie, so sure. I'm trying to fig find everything. Um, I would be looking back on Facebook to 2001 to see yeah. if you're posting a jab video. Yeah. Um, but it's just so there is some film, but there's not as much as you would. When you're in there against guys that you haven't been able to do much film study on how quickly are you able to to feel them out and know like, Oh, this guy's done his, his homework or this guy's, you know, this guy has, has some skill. Um, it also, it doesn't take a ton of time because you start seeing if they like, they pick up their patterns or they change their patterns. And then you start feeling what they're trying to do. And, and then it's really, after you get the stand-up figured out, and that's pretty quick, honestly. And obviously, everyone still carries the power, so you guys show the respect no matter mm -hmm. what. But once you're on the ground, it's in a matter of probably the first exchange that you realize that either this dude's going to be making the checks right with me or this is where I need to be, and it's going to be an easy night because there's just not the same level here. I wanted to go back to, uh, you know, you talked about the eye disease as a kid. Um, one thing that you had posted on, on Facebook after you had announced your retirement from fighting, one thing that I really wanted to ask you about was you, you made kind of a, a comment in jest about, you know, pretty good athletic career for a kid that, you know, um, wasn't supposed to, to walk or talk. Um, talk about that. What did you mean by that? Um, okay, so... As I think most people know, I have a kid that's a freaking miracle. Yeah. Um, so actually I'm definitely not supposed to be alive. Um, my mom had cancer when she was pregnant with me and had a tumor on the backside of her ovary. And they actually pretty much told her 
you need to abort this or I mean, it could be that deadly. Um, so my mom's stubborn, obviously I didn't cause I'm here. Thank, thank God, mom. Um, <laughs> and then like going through the school system, just wasn't supposed to ever get anything. Um, Kanye Lundy actually told my mom in sixth grade, I would never graduate high school. Um, doctors told both my parents, I'd probably never walk and talk. And it's just one of those things that from the beginning, it was never supposed to be this life, which is hoped because now I just feel blessed to have this life. But, um, yeah, just all the way through, um, was grade school, get told I wasn't supposed to, you know, get through high school. And then, I mean, even some of my best friends never thought I'd get through college and graduate college and just kept doing things that wasn't supposed to happen. And, you know, at the end of it, I'm thankful for sports. I want to have my college degree. I want to have such respect for a lot of people, but also I just want to have had the experiences that life has offered because of sports. So, you know, got experienced a national title at Iowa Western. Got experienced what Badrand College program was like at Graceland and got feel the real martial arts vibe of the highest highs and the lowest lows, which, you know, at the end of it, which I guess I shouldn't say career because I plan to do chits, but to end it on at least BKFC, knew who I was, had the contract signed, obviously different plans. It's not not ending up bad. Um, no, not bad know, at all. Yeah. Um, this might be more personal than you want to get into, but um, you know, you're know you a father now. And I think I, I read that your baby was in the hospital for six months yeah after yep. she was born um can you tell, talk a little bit about kind of the being an inspiration to your your child i feel like a lot of the health issues that you went through as a baby um to, to be where you are now is just an inspiration for your child to um i mean my 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 kid my second child spent 10 10 days in the NICU and it felt like forever yeah. i can't imagine six months and then you're gonna I mean, Lord willing, you're going to watch that kid grow up to be something yeah. very, very special. And, um, you know, you, you got to get to identify with her in that way, um, being through what you've been through. Can you talk a little bit about that? And then I also wanted to ask you, you know, with uh, the mental, the physical, the emotional grind of, of martial arts, how that helped you in those six months being in the hospital with your baby. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's definitely life changing. Um. Obviously, the first day it happened, uh, Pumachka woke up from a nap, and Caitlin's like, "We need, we need to go to hospital. I'm bleeding," and find out roughly that we're gonna have a baby in Greenfield Hospital, probably. And well, I don't trust Greenfield Hospital with a bandage, so I was like, "Oh shit, this is not good." Um, but thank God the doctor talked, talked the um, nurses into transport porting her up to mercy and as crazy as it was um i'm so thankful for it uh i think first thing i ever heard doctors say was probably 10 percent chance your kid's gonna live and it's like oh, i think you're probably wrong on this um 
but it it forced me to rely on other people, which I think was maybe the lesson through all this mm -hmm. was I got to I had to trust the doctor, I had to trust these nurses. I didn't know anything. Um didn't have time to prepare for her dad, so she came at 23 weeks, the f found out at about eight weeks. Um, and honestly, the first probably 10 weeks of it, I didn't think she was even going to come. Um, before this, I actually carried three, had three miscarriages before this. So in my mind, just going to be another miscarriage, you know, is, is what, so just no real time to think about, you know, even being a father, mm -hmm. but then to see like how good those doctors worked and just seeing how good like the nurses were and trying to keep even the craziest situation into like a positive light was life changing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Ronald McDonald was up there at Mercy, which thank God because or else we've been driving sixty miles every day. Yeah. Um and and the closeness it brought me with my wife was one of those, like, now looking back, I'm like, thank God, because that woman's a superhero. And it's just, it was, yeah, six months of just me, me and her pretty much, and that's what we had to lean on, which I'm thankful for, because I think when I imagined a marriage as a kid, this this is what I imagined. You know, i seen the people I come home get off work. I don't want to go home to my wife and say like, I would suck you know yeah. um I would look forward to being with my family so um that part it was super eye-opening and just seeing seeing the you know every day you're seeing kids come in and out and there's I think there's a night that had like 46 babies overnight and all in the NICU and it's like crazy like kind of mad because still every three hours Elena was getting her whatever she needed and and I think one of the other coolest things was his name's Dr. Cummett he did a spinal tap on our daughter oh. and and she's actually young enough that she like really didn't feel the pain but when he got the spinal fluid he was just so excited because it was like it just what I'd love to do is just teach and like be a doctor. So I just, he's like, you see the spinal flu? He's like, that's really clear. That's good. And it's like, cool. I'm happy this type of person's, you yeah. know, working on saving my kid's life. I don't yeah. want someone that doesn't love it. So I remember being in the NICU. And like I said, my kid was only in there for 10 days and it felt like an eternity. And I got to watch some, some parents that their kid had been in there for, you know, the NICU, was it the NICU at Mercy? Yeah. Yeah. We, and they had been there, you know, four months, five months. And they yeah. finally got to take their kid home. Um, and it just, uh, they were just overjoyed. Uh, yeah. Talk to me about the day that you got to take her home. Um, so it's actually, I was 10 days away from making my professional boxing debut. Um, so kind of in the middle of a weight cut, but was so, so excited that, life was just going to seem normal for once. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we have, have three dogs at home, four dogs at that time, I guess. Well, four dogs now. And it was just nice that we were going to go home and, like, 
be a family and you know because there's people that just having kids all the time we're at that age and you just see them three days later going home and living this normal life which awesome you know which is sweet i love seeing it but then it's like when do we get our chance to just go home and get away from this because like i mean it's contagious in there like it's just it's a weird hospital vibe still you know so thank god after about the first probably month two months we knew everything was going to be pretty good we just had to wait because she's only pounding seven ounces to for it to get big enough and and that was pretty much all it came down to mm-hmm. but but still even just getting home was the most i mean it's so nice and then the worst part is like we would think we're getting ready to go home and then something would happen where we had to wait or you know just it seemed like something always delayed it one more day or one more hour and it's like oh we're never gonna get there but being there it was is the most beautiful thing but also the most stressful thing because as shitty as being in the NICU for six months is you have some really high paid babysitters that are exactly really right. good. Yeah. So, exactly right. so, you know, like that was the thing that wasn't like, I mean, they literally taught me how to change my kid and just like, this is why you do it like this. Do do. And like, and it would just be there to talk. And it's like, that factor is nice. And the reality was just like, okay, now this is on me and my wife. There's no, we're overwhelmed. We just are going to leave the room for a little bit. Like, you got to deal with it. That kid mm-hmm. is dependent on you. Yeah. How old is your kid now? Uh, she just turned one May 1st. Oh, wow. Congratulations. So, thank you. Thank yeah. you. So how, um, you said she was born at 23 weeks? Yes. Uh, how how big was she when she was born compared to when she was brought home? Um. So she was about eight pounds when she came home. Uh, she was... Born at one pound seven ounces, and wow. she was twelve inches at wow. birth. So, um, but at I think she's probably I was terrible. Once she hit like seven to eight pounds, I just not that I didn't care about weight. I'm like, okay, you're normal baby yeah. size now. Yeah, like, right. Let's focus on other things: your lungs, you know, everything else. Mm-hmm. And but so I don't even know how long. I want to say she's like eighteen inches when she came home. Okay, so. I mean, definitely grew, but still so small. I just hit uh, five months with my daughter. Um, Thankfully, we didn't have to go through anything um, drastic. So, but it's it's nice to see someone else having good luck with their child. So, yeah, yeah. So, is your daughter like up and moving around and everything like? Well, she didn't like Austin when he came today. Yeah, I don't know what the deal was, man. Like, she's she's always, like, psyched, psyched to see me. And I, I sat down next to her, and she was she was laying down. She had, like, a little kick piano thing down here. And I sat down next to her, and I was like, hi. She just screamed was immediately. It, yeah. I was like, okay. Yeah, she, was, she was fine when I'd grab her. And then anytime she looked at Austin, it was immediate. Just, I'm going to lose my, lose my cool and... I think it was stomach issues and she was fighting sleep too because yeah. I went to go change her diaper and man, that was, 
I mean, Austin could hear me from the other room. <laughs> I'm like, why is it paste? <laughs> yeah, she's. Uh, we talked about this on the episode with Phoenix a, a few weeks ago. She's, she's definitely like a little, little roly poly. You put her down, and then like you look down five minutes later, and she's like turned the opposite direction. She's turned herself like 180 degrees, yeah. and yeah, yeah, she's a lot. She's rolling onto her side, but she just can't. Just get over onto yeah. her stomach. Yeah. Um, she's able to hold herself up really well, though. So it, that's. I'm I'm not meaning this as like a you know because it's my kid or anything, but I firmly believe that I think she's a bit advanced for. For where she is, yeah. You know, so. It's it's kind of been awesome to, to just see. Her her be like small enough to where like she was like you know a few inches on my on my torso to now like her legs are reaching down to here and her head's up on my shoulders so yeah no definitely get that and actually now you put it that way it's crazy think how much <laughs> <laughs> yeah um any she just turned one any any lingering health issues that she's uh, experiencing or she has a PDA. In in her heart. Um, So we're going to Iowa City June 10th to get get that taken care of. And other than that, she's, for her adjusted age, she's caught up pretty much right with him. And she's honestly the easiest baby of all time. Um, I don't know if it's like I've heard other kids, I guess you'd be able to note for me too, for NICU parents. Uh she like doesn't cry or anything she just doesn't care it's and it's almost like in the NICU there's so many dings and everything going on that noise doesn't so my my second child kenta uh he was my NICU baby and then when we brought him home he was easy like he was just the easiest baby now when he gets to be about four or five years old he's a goddamn terrorist yeah um (laughs) but he has way too much fucking energy uh but he was like the he was the easiest baby yeah but uh yeah once we um so he he was born not super premature but he was a few weeks anyway and and he was born with uh um like issues with his lungs they weren't yep. fully developed yep. um now seems like there's no problem with his lungs at all he's the most active of my th- my three children um and he has he has way too much energy way too much energy so um that's what i'm hoping hoping for you too once she hits like four or five better work on that cardio because you're gonna be chasing her around oh everywhere <laughs> i'm i'm hoping yeah try and try and get myself like a next year on a janikowski or- <laughs> <Yeah>, exactly <laughs> exactly um anything that we haven't talked about yet any any um questions that you wanted to answer any stories that you wanted to tell um i mean there's not Two crazy stories. Uh, no, kind of, kind of told everything. Um, I was interested, honestly, to see how like a podcast yeah. went. Uh, you know, obviously, always everybody, every dude, I think, is back. I'm gonna do a podcast. I'm yeah. the next Rogan. Yeah, and and so I was just interested, honestly, to see how it all went, and then yeah, is 
you're looking at it. Yeah. Uh, it's not too fancy. I When I did a podcast uh, like six, seven years ago, I would have this like giant 12-channel mixer with like four or five microphones and uh, come to the realization that like this is just as powerful and it's a lot easier to transport. I, see, I remember that too because the one, like, the one day you had me on a podcast was, was I, I remember I had to work that day. So you had me over and... Like you had to clear out an, like an entire living room, get yep. a card table set up. Yep. Have a whole section the just whole for section your of that table was just for me. Yeah, just yeah. for you for for that mixer. And uh, I did dip out at like noon because I had to rush to work and. Yeah, we. That was, uh, that was a nightmare. Back in the day, we it. used. So I used to do like hip hop music. So I bought a bunch of like condenser mics. Yeah that only work if you're in like a studio setting with like the foam on the walls because they pick up everything. Okay. Um, so if there's an air conditioner or a fan going like there is here, uh, it would just pick up everything. And it sounded like shit. Yeah. And so we got these that are dynamic microphones and you have to kind of be like right in front of them. Like if I sit over here, like you can't hear me at yeah. all. So I have to be right in front of the microphone. Um, so we got these and then um, we used to do like just tabletop microphones. We had to like lean into them. Well, we're doing like three hour recording sessions every two weeks. Um, and it just got to the point where like we wanted to be more comfortable. So we got these and we can space them out a little bit more. Yeah. More. Probably so, like, one of the best investments. It was the best had. investment we've ever done yeah. because um, like his wife is a good example. She, she has like a musical theater background, doesn't she? Yeah. But she projects super fucking well and it echoes. So the opportunity to space the microphones out a little bit more gives us an opportunity to, to where like, her talking on her microphone has less of a chance of Picking bleeding up. in to this microphone. Okay. And, and if we're sitting here for, you know, like three hours, um, and, or for me, like I'm, I'm recording our podcast today. Yeah. We'll record another podcast after you leave before the girls get here. And then the girls record three more episodes. So I'm here for like seven hours. Yeah. Like I want to be comfortable. Yeah. Um, and this has helped us be comfortable instead of like hunching over into those little tabletop microphone stands that are only like this big. Yeah. So, yeah, everyone everyone comes and they see these like microphone stands and they're like, oh shit, like this is way fancier than I thought it was gonna be. <laughs> but uh, if you're gonna do it, do it right. Yeah, you know? yeah. So yeah, definitely. Yeah. Was it something hard to get like started and get into? Or um, I think because Austin already had experience doing podcasts, which was yeah, Buck and Boom, you know, the yeah, old ice yeah. cream Sunday and stuff like that. So I started a podcast. My first podcast was probably like 2012 when I moved to Lincoln, Nebraska. There was a guy that I worked with. We did a podcast and I had all the equipment from when I did did music. And so I, I know I knew how to use like recording stuff. And um, but it, it always it didn't sound like as good as I wanted it to. Like if I'm going to do if I'm going to do anything, I want it to sound as professional as possible. Yeah. And so they uh, Trevor and, and David, who I did the podcast with, and David was one of our hosts for the first, oh, I don't know, 25, 30 episodes. And um, I did, they they were like, we need to bring this podcast back. And I did a ton of research on like, what's the best microphone to buy for the right price? And then when I when we got these and the headphones, I was like, what's the best headphones to use? And we got these headphones because they don't, they don't add any treble or any bass. So it picks up like a true representation of what your voice sounds like. So then when you put it into like a, like a recording system or a production system, it's not like 
because I would have headphones that would increase the bass. And I was like, wow, this sounds great. And then when I put it into the the program to edit it, I'm like, oh, that doesn't sound anything like what it sounded like when we recorded it. Yeah. So this gives a true representation. Um, and yeah, I just, I did so much research on like little edit editing tools and shortcuts on, on the program that we use that just try to make it as, as simple as possible. Um, so, cause if I, if I have to spend like a lot of time on it, it, it becomes work and no, no, no longer becomes fun. And I yeah. still like, it is work and, and we're going to Des Moines con a week from today and like selling merchandise and promoting our show. And that's work. But like at the same, same time, like it's fun. Like yeah. it, it, if it ever gets to a point where it's not fun, like I just won't fucking do it anymore. But like, it hasn't come anywhere close to not being fun yeah. yet. So we're keeping, keeping on, keeping on. So. Yeah. I feel like if you have like good people to talk to and just, you know, good solid people around yeah. you it stays as just like a conversation well, you enjoy it instead yes. of and that's the that's the difficult part because like i've always respected you as a martial artist and wanted to have you on or interview you but and it, it, it it's a little nerve-wracking because i'm like hey like i know this really bad thing happened to you but i'd like you to come talk about it on our podcast and that's really nerve-wracking because i never know if people are going to be like no man fuck you you're just yep. taking you're taking my like me at my lowest and you want to use it for your fucking dumb radio show. But you were gracious enough to be like, no nah, man, let's, yeah, let's talk about it. Yeah. Let's talk well, about some real shit. Actually made me hyped. And oddly, I, I like talk, like I use Facebook mostly as like a journal and like, I'll post some, like, just like, I'm fucking up. I need to fix this and this and this. And I'm not posting it. So Susan can, comment and be like well get better jr or it's so i can look back at the memories and like wow yep. i was in this mind space what did i do to improve this yeah um and i think pride martial arts really helped with that of this might be your current situation but it doesn't have to be your final situation and and i would start using like social media as like a journal because it keeps such a good log of everything and then um you, you can just see the growth through the years of a person. I think that's really sweet. Yeah. But to not talk about, you know, like shit happens, you know, like, yeah, I guess like the biggest opportunity on me lately, the whole purpose, I guess I started training and ended up being three days short. It happens, but it's like, I'm not fucking special. People go blind all the time. You know, like I've, also got to play college football i also got fighting a ton of big promotions like there's people i'd never get to compete a day in their life so like who the fuck am i to complain and cry about how hard life is yeah we talked about this on i think our 50th episode maybe or our one year anniversary episode but pretty recently where like we can use this podcast as like a, a public diary in a way public yeah. journal mm -hmm. where even if, if for, for whatever reason we stop the show and it gets taken off Spotify or whatever, every episode is saved in the Google Drive. Yeah. I can just go back and be like, damn, that's what I was thinking in April of 2023. Yeah. Like that's I was a fucking idiot. Or I can I can go back and be like, wow, I actually had some pretty profound thoughts when I was 34. <laughs> yeah. Like you never know. But like 20 years from now, I want to go back and listen to this and be like, damn, that's what I thought about. That's hey, what I cared about when I was 34. Hey, yeah. don't forget, we got six more years. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's the, uh, I worked at a, a restaurant that we're not allowed to say for legal purposes. Mm -hmm. And uh, they fired me about a month after they opened their doors. Um, and 
we were going to release a podcast where I talked about like how I got hired there and then how I eventually got fired there. And uh, they were like, no, you signed an NDA. You can't talk for seven years. So my one year anniversary of getting fired is coming up. So we only got six years left and I can start talking shit. It's on. Yeah. And yeah. It's on. <laughs> so this, this podcast has to last for at least another six years. Yeah. That's awesome. The, grand, oh, oh. the, the series finale is just me talking shit about <laughs> pickleball palace. <laughs> You're like, this was fun and I've enjoyed it, but I've been waiting for this day. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> That's it's, awesome. it's all been leading to this. Watch like the original owners just like die off before that happens. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no one that I worked with even works there anymore. They got rid of everybody. So like Nancy Nancy passed three years ago. <laughs> oh wow. man. I, I appreciate you making the drive and coming up and, and being on the show and um, talking about your experience with, with mixed martial arts and your new baby. And yeah, man, it's, it's been a blast. No, I super appreciate it. Uh, was actually super excited. Um, one, I was a kid with a speech impairment growing up. So it's funny that I'm doing something that I'm <laughs> <Right>? talking on. <laughs> talking uh, for an hour, yeah. telling your life story yeah. for an hour. Yeah, literally. And then, you know, like, I, fuck, I just love martial arts. Like it, it saved me. I mean, you knew me, you knew me in high school. I was like a yep. cocky doucher and it just humbled me so much and just, it gave so much. It's like, man, what if, you know, what if someone else, you know, can change their life because they hear this one story or, yeah. you know, I mean, everyone grows up in a crazy home. It seems like, so it's like, what, what if, I'm that person that they listen to or keeps them going. And that's, that's yeah. sweet. If it's works for one person, then it's like all putting my like fuck ups in life out there on social media. It's cool with me. Yeah. Like, like it's fine. Cause like at the end of the day, I mean, I care what people think about me, but I really don't give a fuck what people think about me. It comes down to when I look in the mirror and if I can be like, damn, I'm trying to be a better person today than I was tomorrow. And it's like, yeah, I say whatever you want about me. I know, I know the facts, you know, but, yeah. but if I look in the mirror and I, I mean, this happens too at times, like you look in the mirror, like, man, I've been a piece of shit. I could have been better to my wife. I could have been better father. I could have been better at my job, whatever it is. And it's like, okay, well, nice. Like at least now you got but, something uh, to grow. That tells me you're a good person because uh, bad people don't give a shit how they treat other people. So yeah. That yeah. tells me that you're a good person. Well, try try to be. I think yeah. there's a lot of bad people out there, but yeah. there's a lot of good too. And that's, I mean, beside that, I yeah. definitely want to be on. I, I've always said that, man. Bad bad people don't care, don't give a shit about improving. So yeah. if you care about, you know, like if you look at yourself in the mirror, and you're like, man, I fucked up. Like, dude, that's that's you're on your way to at least trying to be a good person. That's 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 all we can really ask for. So. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think, I mean, at some point, everybody's been their own worst enemy. Mm -hmm. and i think for dudes for sure for dudes it's not cool to talk about it you're a pussy or whatever they want to say you know you're a bitch and yeah. i mean that's and that's yeah that's the dude mentality it's like oh it's not true like actually being a man is talking about your feelings or talking about what's going on and then instead of freaking out it solve it you know you like know, find a way and it's funny you say that because I was just flipping through my Facebook memories earlier today and um, came across um, uh, a clip of 
I forget his last name, but his name's Patty. He's a, a MMA fighter. Oh, uh, Pimlet? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, man. The bad. He, he was talking about that exact thing, so it's it's nice to see that. post-fight speech in, in London? Yep. Yeah. Fantastic. So it, it's, it's nice to see that that's not an outlier. It's not just one person, but it's literally someone, you know, roughly in the same position, just spreading that, so... Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I, th- I think I'm sure pro wrestling same way. You get a bad, it gets a bad rap, and instead it it shouldn't be. I think every cop should have to have a blue belt. I think kids should all be in some type of martial arts, and I think there'd be less bastard children. Like they would have discipline. They'd understand that just because you're big doesn't mean you get be a big dick to the smaller kid. Like mm-hmm. I just think there'd be so much, you know. Cops would understand how to handle stressful situations because by the time you get blue belt, you've been choked a thousand times. Yeah. So, like, I don't care who you are, getting choked is stressful. Um, yeah. And if it's not, teach me your ways. Yeah. Uh, Man, I I think I've said this before on this podcast, and I went to school. I'm sixty thousand dollars in debt because I wanted to learn how to tell people's stories. Um, I went to school to be a journalist, and uh, these are the kind of stories I wanted to tell. And uh, I have a podcast because no one reads a fucking newspaper anymore. So, um, print times. is dead. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but, buddy, print was dead way before I even studied <laughs> journalism. So, um, but no, these are these are the types of stories I wanted to tell. So, thank you for coming on and, and sharing your story. Uh, thank you for having me, and talk to you soon for sure. <laughs> <laughs>